Thought Bubble Audio. Look, up in the sky! You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Welcome to Beer with Geeks with Tim and Frank. Who are you? I'm Batman. I am Iron Man. Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Hi, Christopher. I'm Nero. My name is Inigo Montoya. You're a wizard, Harry. A couple of guys with a couple of beers and a whole lot of pop culture nostalgia. Make it so, number one. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. Name the dog in the ant. Life finds a way. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Now sit back and crack open a cold one. Because it's time for Beer with Geeks. It comes in paints? Shaken, not stirred. Great Scott! I was way off. I knew it started with an S, though. Hi, and welcome to Beer with Geeks, where two geeks geek out with beer. I'm Tim, and with me sometimes is a man who, if it wasn't for him, I would be doing this solo. It's Scott from Suicide Squadcast. How are you today? Laugh it up, fuzzball. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm actually not a very hairy person. The 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 beard on my face is pretty much the hairiest part of me, actually. Hey, it's more hair than I have on my head. So you know what? It's, oh. it, they're, 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 it, I, but I have more hair on my head than Frank. So you know, there, there's there, there are ranges here. That's true. It just has to be less hair on your head than mine. That's the that's the. That's the co-host requirement. That's the co-host requirement. You have to have less hair on your head than me, Jay Leno. No, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, um, Scott from Suicide Squadcast is here uh, to fill in. It is lovely to talk to you again, Scott. You have recorded a few episodes with Frank, I believe, or just just the one on Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yeah, just the one on Yankee Doodle Dandy, because before then was the crossover where it was all four of us. That's correct. So it's never actually been just the two of us on Beer with Geeks before. That's crazy. I'm loving Actually, that. I'm, I was so excited when you asked, especially with the topic. I was like, Star Wars, yes! Yeah, we're talking about Solo. We're, I mean, and because it was a joke, I was actually writing the description for this episode, and I was like, oh my god, I'd be alone if it wasn't for Scott doing this, so I would be Solo talking about Solo, and that amused me so much. <laughs> I like, had to I had to put the stupid pun in. I had to put the stupid pun in the in the write-up but it doesn't matter right now because we're first going to talk about what we're drinking so what are you drinking i am drinking a sam adams cherry wheat oh cherry wheat is so good oh it's so good a crisp and slightly sweet white a wheat ale brewed with real cherries oh that sounds really good Oh, That's and on a, a hot summer day, it is the perfect thing to drink. That That is a summer drink. I'm not really – mine's not really a summer drink. Actually, it could be. I guess it's kind of fruity. I am drinking a Goose Island Goose Honkers Ale, which is kind of like a fruity hop. It's got a malty taste to it. It's really good. It's a little heavier than I would like for like a hot, humid summer day, but it is it is a good beer. I'll have mm-hmm. to check it out. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Hmm. I don't know if Goose Island is actually a... Mm, it's an English-style bitter inspired by trips overseas. But to be perfectly honest, I'm actually not sure where Goose Island is located. I'm not sure if they're a little too local for you. Oh, well, well I'm not going to use the, I'm not gonna use my one lookup on that. No, no, it's, we can't use the lookup on the beer. That's... Oh, that's sacrilege. You have to do it on the topic. I mean, that's not a rule at all, but it just feels... But we can make it one. Feels like a rule. Yeah, Frank's not here. Anything goes. You know what? That's a rule now. Let's see if he's listening. Let's see. Actually, I do know that even though Frank couldn't be here today, I do know that he actually got to see Solo. Good. So, I was hoping so. Yes, he did. So what? So this is a... In, this was an interesting dilemma for him because Frank loves Star Wars as much as you do, as much as I do. And so I, this must hurt him a little bit not to be here to talk about Star Wars. And so we will not rub it in his face or anything like that. But meanwhile, this was the greatest Star Wars movie of all time, and Frank's not here to talk about it. That's a <laughs> that's a hard line in the sand. That's not true. As we talked about on another podcast, there's no such things as hard lines in the sand. They disappear when the wave comes over it. Um, but a uh, hot take, I really enjoyed Solo. 
I did too. Um, I'll give you an even hotter take. I enjoyed this one more than the two previous saga movies that have come out in the Disney era. You enjoyed this movie more than The Force Awakens. The Last Jedi, I'm not completely surprised because that's a very decisive, divisive film. Um, but, or decisive, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, decisive was the correct word. Divisive. Ah, shoot. Ah, it's so late in the evening. It's almost <laughs> morning now. It's so late. Um, that's, that's very interesting because I'll be honest, Scott. When I first saw Force Awakens, didn't really care for it. I walked out of that theater going, I've seen that movie. I, it's called A New Hope. It's called A New Hope. And there are a few like slight adjustments. The character's pointing this way instead of this way on their you know, chosen path or unchosen path. But ultimately, it's a movie I, I have seen before. Not just in genre, but in Star Wars. Like I've seen this Star Wars movie before. And so it's, it has definitely grown on me as, as it's gone on. And then, and then, Last Jedi, I I quite like, but because I can, I'm almost separating myself out f- from it and like using it as a tool for analysis. But I don't want to do that with every Star Wars movie. It's like a special treat, or it's it's a special thing I'm doing with just the Last Jedi. And then, the, and then, Rogue One is a movie that doesn't really exist anywhere else in the Star Wars universe. It feels fresh. Uh, and I don't love, I don't love all aspects of it, but there's a, a lot of it I really enjoy. Solo feels like a Star Wars movie. Like I walked out going, "Woohoo! I saw Star Wars." I have to agree. Um, I need to go back and do a rewatch of Rogue One because uh, I would still say right now that I liked Rogue One more than Solo, only because Rogue One felt like a war movie in Star Wars, mm, and this one. True. At which I liked, I appreciated. Uh, this one was a western, and I loved. Like I, I'm, I'm willing to point out like every single going. Like these are the these are the western tropes that I'm seeing in this movie, and I know you're not a big fan of westerns, as you've mentioned on on a couple other occasions. But for mm-hmm. me, who can appreciate the genre, I was like, this is a space. This is a Star Wars space western. Okay, okay so so actually, walk me through that because as the uh, as the years have gone on, I I found it's not that I'm disinterested in westerns. I don't care for like really old westerns, like cheaply made. They they just do the same thing over and over and over again, kind of western. But I but I like some newer stuff, and so to walk me through walk me through this as if it were. Oh, what what are, what are the tropes that we're looking at here? Um, okay, so you've got the sort of the the young brash up and comer who's got to kind of learn how to grow up uh, throughout his experience. You know, uh, you've got uh, getting together with a crew. You know, sometimes it's like Tombstone where you've got White Earp and Doc Holliday, and they're kind of getting the band together and that kind of thing. Uh, and then you've or got Magnificent Eight or Magnificent Seven. Seven, yes. Yep. Great movie, um, both the original and the remake. Uh, but then you've got like the train robbery, because that's basically what that was the first time they're trying to get the uh, the hyperfuel. It's mm-hmm. it's your train robbery. Absolutely. You, you've got when they go to Kessel, it's freeing you know the enslaved people in a mine because usually it's like a gold mine or a silver mine or or something like that's a trope in Western. Oh, it, even like in good. even like in Mask of Zorro, you know. Uh. You know I love you know I love Mascazzaro. I know you do. That's why I said it. Yep. And then you get to the end of the movie, and you had a freaking Mexican standoff. Yep. yep. So wow. That, so yeah, and then you've even got like the the gangsters coming into at the refinery planet. It's like the black cats walking into the deserted town, and like the poor mistrodden people who rise up against the evil gang walking into town. It, it's all there. That's, that is, 
that's really I mean, you're a fan of the genre, so you're looking for those things where you can recognize them easily. And now that you say them, they they're they're they seem very obvious. And some of them I definitely picked up on like the train robbery and getting the gang together and stuff like that, but I was thinking it more of a heist kind of movie, but that's not really what it is because a heist movie is about one central location usually, you know, or a string of locations that are connected like these three casinos or something like that. But this is this is an event-driven film. This thing happens and so we have to move on to the next place so this thing can happen. And so it, it definitely fits the western the western genre more than the heist genre so good good you i'm glad you're here for this this is great and i just love star wars so this is exciting i think part of the reason i like this movie so much is that i was a big expanded universe guy Mm. i read all those novels i spent years reading all those novels so seeing them get disregarded in this era has been kind of a, a kind of a sore spot for me and this is the first movie that I could tell the screenwriters knew enough of the expanded universe to like go through the buffet and go, okay, we're going to take that and we're going to take that and we're going to take that and we're going to incorporate it into our film so it didn't feel like it was being completely disregarded. It's funny that you say the screenwriters because you're talking about Lawrence Kasdan, the screenwriter of Empire Strikes Back, and his son, John Kasdan, who wrote the majority of... Actually, Lawrence Kasdan also wrote Force Awakens. Um, but, so, but then, you, so you're talking... When you think of Star Wars, apart from George Lucas, you really have Lawrence Kasdan to thank for that. And so I think a big reason this movie feels that way, even taking some of that expanded universe stuff, is because it's written by a guy and his son who really know their stuff. But it's John Kasdan that I think is the one that really pulled in that the prequel stuff, the uh, the, the Clone Wars stuff. Ser- Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Clone Wars cartoon series, which we'll talk about later, because that was the biggest grin on my face when that happened. Oh, okay. So let's um, so let's roll through. I have a couple of things here. They're in no particular order. So I, but I've been able to. So we can kind of we'll move off of where these things are. So let's at first talk the Han and Lando relationship. The relationship, relationship. <laughs> um, the. Or I should say the Han Han relationship with Lando, because I love that the movie gave a, like an in-universe reason for Billy D. Williams never saying Han Solo. He's the only one that says Han Solo, and we know he's doing it as like a derogatory kind of like it's Han. Okay, whatever Han, no problem. I love oh, yeah. that. Oh yeah, it was great, and and their relationship is so much of. What I knew from my from my reading, like that is what the relationship is, like how he gets the Millennium Falcon. You know, all of that was just like a big old grin in my face. The card game, the fact that the card game is a real card game in the universe, mm-hmm. uh, that that antagonism of man, we really hate each other right now, but we're going to put on the face for it. Oh, though, that was some of the best. Uh, interactions in the film was um alden i cannot pronounce that man's last name alden reich uh, alden reich and um donald glover i thought that was fantastic right there i i agree i think they had good chemistry with one another which was uh ennen reich not alden um ennen reich that's his last name alden ennen reich ennen reich yeah that's right <laughs> Phew. Names. Anyway, anyway, I've seen him in a few things, and I've always enjoyed his performance. And so I was really, I had faith in him from the beginning. When he was one of the names being touted around as like he might be Han Solo, I was like, that guy, he's so good. So choose him. And I, I really liked his performance as Han. I think, I think he he made it his own without without completely disregarding who Han Solo was, but also being smart enough to know that it's 14 years before A New Hope, and so you're seeing Han as a young person, not in his mid-30s, and who you are in your early 20s is not who you are in your 30s. Oh, and so yeah. I think it's some of the, the, 
the tells are there, some of the, he, the his body language and his smirk and stuff like that, but he doesn't react to si- situations the same way. And I think that's a, was really the Kazans did a really good job with that, and I think Alden did a really good job with that as well. Yeah, the cynicism isn't there yet. He's got 14 more years between this movie and A New Hope to become the you know the the, the bitter disillusioned Han that we get to know in the original trilogy. Exactly. Well, I mean, I mean, no one's really talking about it, but the fact that in a Star Wars movie, Han Solo says, I've got a really good feeling about this, which is the antithesis to every Star Wars movie where everyone always says, I have a bad feeling about this, starting with Han Solo. He's the first character to say it in A New Hope. And so for him to say, I have a good feeling about this in this movie, tells you exactly how far away he is from becoming the Han Solo that we know. Right, which is which made me more forgiving of the performance. Like his performance was not my favorite thing in the film, but I did appreciate but but some criticisms I'm hearing is like, no, no, I mean, he's not that character yet. His character has to develop to that point. That's and right. so I liked the more idealistic version, knowing where he's headed. Exactly. I like that too. Uh, to go back to the Han and Lando thing, I loved that their confrontation at the end of the film before the second Sabacc game mirrors their reunion in Empire Strikes Back. Yes, I'm glad you picked up on that. Yeah, yes. it's Han coming in being like, you, you no good, and then he hugs him, and then like it's just the same thing over again. So then it even adds weight to that interaction in Empire because it's this, like, ah, oh, it's great. I love it. It's... it. It's good writing. It's that that stuff. I love symmetry, and so that stuff is really, really good writing. Well, and also the fact that you know he's going to steal the card. Like, you know what he's doing that for. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Speaking of symmetry and placing things and connecting to Empire Strikes Back, I wasn't a huge fan of L3, um, Lando's co-pilot. I thought a lot of her jokes fell flat. Um, I think some of them were great, but uh, some of them didn't really work for me. But what really worked for me was uploading her navigation system and basically her um, personality into the Falcon. Because when the Falcon's broken, C-3PO goes to Han Solo at Empire Strikes Back and says, I don't know where your ship learned to communicate. But, I know! I thought the same thing! I, I love that there's a, like, that's the reason. And Han... Being Han Solo, I mean, obviously because L3 wasn't created before New Hope, but he only ever says, like, the Nava computer and stuff like that. He never calls her L3. And, like, as, like, a timeline progression, it's so Han Solo to be like, eh, it's just a droid, whatever. (laughs) I I actually, I've I've seen that from other people that L3 really bothered them. Um L3 actually did not bother me because even with some of the annoying things she was saying, it was being played for laughs. And so I so so I got the character. Oh, I got the character and I didn't have a problem with the things that she was saying. I think I had a problem with it being played for laughs. Oh, okay. I think that's actually like and not all of it. It just felt a little too much at different I, I, times. I gotcha. Well, I, and I also wondered. I mean, I feel like there's an elephant in the room that we can address at this point is the fact that this this movie did have a troubled production, and yes. so I'm wondering, you know, was that part of you know because Lord the original directors Lord Miller were fired like with three weeks left to go in principal photography, and then Ron Howard came in, and one number I've heard was like reshot seventy percent of this movie, and yeah, I'm heard, one I heard eighty. Yeah. You heard eighty. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just kind of, so it's it's always the question of so what did not get reshot, and I'm almost wondering if some of that L three humor, uh, because what we'd heard was Lord Miller made it too funny, like they, they they went way off script with the humor, and I was wondering if that was something they just could not redo, and that maybe that's a holdover from the original shoot. That's just me speculating. That's a good speculation, but I'm gonna I'm gonna counter that with two things one i don't think so because it's adr dialogue all l3's dialogues recorded afterward way into the way into han i mean way into ron howard being the director okay and so i 
I would say that that's probably not the case. The second thing, which is which was a, a point my my friend made, said that Ron Howard is definitely like like a dad's dad kind of guy. He's just like the dad of the movie world, and his jokes or like his sense of timing on jokes is kind of like a dad who's like trying to say something funny, but then maybe has to explain the joke to you or takes too long or gets the words wrong or you're just like the timing isn't exactly there. And I felt like that presence in L3 where just like it just wasn't quite there. Oh, okay. But I, I still enjoyed the character, especially the get in universe. Like why the Falcon is a tricky communicator. No, oh, absolutely, and, and and I liked that. Like, I actually didn't see that coming. So, once again, I, I like a movie where stuff happens and it subverts my expectations. Agreed, and especially if it still feels authentic to the characters. Yes, I think it, you know you're subverting my expectations, but you still feel authentic, and those are those are important things to to step away from story for a second. I'm because this is no particular order in my notes, but I. Let's talk about the music for a second. I, I love the music. Me too. One, I loved that the Imperial March was playing at the recruiting center. Did you hear it? <laughs> yes, I did. It was that was great. I love that. What a what a fantastic idea. Um, I loved William's theme for Han Solo. I was fortunate enough to hear the word. I was at the concert for the world premiere of the theme. Uh, he came to. He came to Boston last Wednesday, and um, and he and for because um, he used to conduct the Boston Pops, and so he comes back. Yes, every, I watch it on PBS all the time. Damn, right, that was exactly. So yeah, good. so yeah, so he comes back every year to do a concert. This is the second time I've seen him, and he, um, and he like was doing all these different things. Did Jurassic Park and Close Encounters and um, Lincoln and all these different things. And he says it's time for the Star Wars section, and so he talks about right. He talked about writing this new theme for Han Solo, uh, and and then he's like, "Okay, it's the world premiere. Here we go." And, and nobody had heard it outside of people who had worked on the film. It was the, that was it. And so I so I sat there and like pictured Han Solo in my mind, and I was like, "Okay, this is this is what Han Solo looks like." Give me, give me the score. Give me, and I loved it because it it evokes pirate music from old cinema. That that kind of swashbuckling, high stakes adventures on the open sea kind of feel. That's what it reminds me of, and that's exactly what Han is. He's a pirate. Yeah, that's what. And so, if you if you really like sit and listen to that main theme, which gets played over and over and over and over again in John Powell's score, it that's it's, it has this kind of, it's in a minor key and it plays this like, you know, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of trying to do the right thing and then he takes a weird direction, but then he like comes back and does the right thing again. And then he goes another way. And it's like, it keeps building on that idea. It's very cool. It's a very cool theme. I liked how bombastic it was. Like I felt emotional during it. And it was just like, it, sometimes I felt like the music maybe was just going a little too much, but yet I didn't mind it because it just seemed to fit with the movie and mm. some of the really big action pieces that were sprinkled throughout this film. Agreed. There was a lot of music in this movie. It's a, it's it's there are very few scenes where it's quiet. I completely agree. I think that John Powell also did a good job at incorporating some classic pieces of William's score without feeling too reliant on it. Little things like when the Star Destroyer shows up in the Kessel Run, you hear the bump, 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 bump. Like that, that's, the, that's the musical cue when the Star Destroyers approach the Death Star for the first time in A New Hope. And then I also loved like when, when they're trying to escape the, uh, the TIE Fighters when they're in the Maelstrom. It's mm-hmm. the scene of them escaping the Death Star with the da da da. You know, it, it, like when they're, when they're like getting into the blasters and stuff. It's like this, it's the exact same. Like you hear the little flutes playing and it's like, oh, it, it, they're doing a mirror scene with New Hope. So the music is mirroring it as well. That's a good point. That's a good one. That is called the Rebel Fanfare. That's what that piece of music is called. And it really is associated with the, with the Millennium Falcon a lot. So I love that. 
it was thrown in there. But the escape from the TIE Fighters also has a lot of elements of the um, asteroid field from Empire Strikes Back. Um, you know, bum, 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 ba-dum, that, that bit um, when, they're escaping, when they're escaping the Empire before they go into the cave. Oh, it's, yes. Yeah, so it's... John Powell really did his homework. He, there was an interview, and he was like, "It was like writing my master's thesis again because I had to take a like a, take a famous composer and incorporate my own music around their own themes." And he said, "I had a ball doing it." So, well, and the best part was, it never felt like he was just ripping off Williams. It was no, it was, was perfectly placed at good times to be invocative of the original trilogy. Exactly, and that was, and that to me was more successful than say. Michael Giacchino's score in Rogue One, which is very good, but sometimes it it's it's like um, like a simulacrum of John Williams as opposed to just using John Williams where it's necessary. So I I like I preferred this version. I agree. Um, I to to step out of music for uh, for a bit. I love that the t- the first time Han Solo flies the Millennium Falcon, the ship breaks. <laughs> I know. It's like yes, because that's that's like the greatest running bit in Empire is the thing never working. <laughs> exactly, and since this was written by the Castons, I like that there's a lot of calls to Empire in this one, not just a not just a New Hope, um, because that's like Lawrence Caston's baby in its own way. So I think that's that's very cool. They even they even once again had someone putting a tracker on the Millennium Falcon, which happens over and over again in Empire. Over it's like and every, over again, it's like you can't get the hyperdrive to work, and someone's always tracking that puppy. It's so true. Um, to to take a step backwards earlier in the film, we get kind of the snippet of war, like the Empire's war on the galaxy. You know, to bring more or quote unquote order to the galaxy. I loved one seeing Han at war two i loved seeing that side of the star wars universe which we never see ever and i love that the infantry men looked like stormtroopers like they had a stormtrooper vibe or aesthetic but they didn't have the elite armor of stormtroopers i thought that was very cool very well done on the costume department side and i loved han's line of you know, we have to, you know, the, 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 the captain or whoever was like, we have to, um, you know, something the hostiles. He goes, well, sir, this is their planet. So technically we are the hostiles. <laughs> I, that, lo- I, I love that attitude. <laughs> me too. Because sometimes I think that in some stories where like, you know, they, you know, we're invading an alien race or whatever else. I'm like, we're the bad guys in stories like that. And like, so Han... Being there, but like, where are the bad guys here? This is their planet. Like, hello, hello. Um, on that, on that, um, in that scene, we we meet you know the crew that Han kind of tags along with Val and Rio Durant and um, oh shoot, Woody Harrelson's character whose name um, I whose name I've forgotten. Um, I th- that I think that's going to be my lookup is figuring out who Woody Harrelson was in this movie because I just Deckard, I, 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 no not Deckard that's uh no 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 not Tobias Beckett yes yes ah. I didn't use my lookup that that came to me yes. yes that's good I liked their little ragtag clue John Favreau was Rio which was cool Tandy Newton had some great seventies hair which I oh. it definitely fits the Star Wars aesthetic. Oh, she was great. I was I was very sad to see her go during the during the train robbery. I was like, "Oh, Tandy Newton," because I love her in Westworld, and it was just like, "No, don't you left us too soon." I agree, but I think she she made her impact. I think because like when she went, I was like, "Oh no, that was so soon." But I like I saw, there's there's something about these. Um, side stories, these Star Wars stories, where the stakes feel higher somehow because characters actually die, whereas in the saga you kind of need them to survive to continue on to the next one. Oh, absolutely. And some would say, you know, that was the one thing about, you know, oh, Han and Chewie aren't going to make it. Yeah, but that's why these movies, they focus so much on these other characters for that very reason. It's like, I don't know how this is going to turn out for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was like in Rogue One where, spoilers, 
everyone dies at the end. I was like, oh, they're actually doing this. It was so impactful that way. It's like they're killing off every protagonist. This is amazing. So you're right. These anthologies, I think one of the reasons I am enjoying the anthology ones more than the saga ones is that there seems to be a little bit more freedom with these with these anthology story movies. Right, exactly. And, I mean, you might not have freedom in the way of, say, is Han Solo going to live or die, which is totally fine. But every other character that you decide to bring in pretty much, pretty much is touch or go. You have no idea what's going to happen, um, which it, which I, I, I really like. I also really like this is the first Star Wars movie to not have C-3PO or R2-D2 at all. Oh wow! You're there was like there was like a three PO unit in there somewhere. There was a, there was a protocol droid, but that's as close as you got. That's right. There was a couple of actually. This movie had some familiar aliens and droids, which I really liked because the the Disney era of the Disney era of Star Wars, especially the, episodes seven and eight, don't really feature a lot of recognizable aliens. It's a lot of new stuff, and sometimes that takes away from feeling like something that you recognize so there was you know there was a twi'lek in this movie there was um there was a droid that gets hit by the 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 guys chasing han on Corellia. that it was this i can't is the same model as one of the droids in the jawa sand crawler in a new hope it's just a different color like things like that I'm like Oh, this feel there's a Gronk droid like um Well Gronk the Viper droid, droids look like the Gronk. probe droids at the beginning of Empire on Hoth. Mm-hmm. Yep, it just felt like oh yeah, these things look familiar and it's nice and I like that. You know, I'm all for like new aliens and new designs and everything like that too, but it's you wanna see stuff that you know at the same time. And I think that's something else these anthology stories play off of. It's like I heard uh, I've, I've seen people say like these anthology these anthology movies are like for the like the old school fans. Like it gives us more things that we can latch on to because it feels more familiar, thus more comfortable for us. That's a good point. I completely agree with that. And I think this movie, I mean, even stuff old school fans have been wanting to see for years like Chewie actually ripping the arms off of somebody. You finally see it in this movie. I mean, you know. You hear it and then see him holding the arms. But you've been hearing about that since 1977, some people. And, you know, that's that's a lot of years later to be like, there's Chewbacca ripping off someone's arms. That's awesome. There oh, and there's the Kessel Run. We finally get to see the Kessel Run mm-hmm. since, you know, you know, 12 parsecs if you round down. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. And, f- and for me as an expanded universe guy, seeing the Maelstrom, seeing the Maw. Like, these are things I only read about. So it was really fun. Like, wow, you're actually putting them in a movie. This is cool. Oh, I didn't realize that the that the Maw was from the Expanded Universe. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a Kevin J. Anderson trilogy where there's a whole, the whole climax of the novel takes place and plays out in a way very similar to the way they used it in this movie. That's very cool. What's the, do you know which trilogy is that? Because I like Kevin J. Anderson as a writer. Oh, I made a point that I was going to look that up. It's the first trilogy he wrote. It was actually the first set of Star Wars books that he wrote. Um, I will you you talk. I will use this as my my one lookup. Excellent. So you do that. So there are a couple other things that I I want to just little thoughts that before we get into big things, I think there was a lack of chemistry between Kira and Han, but I think that it actually fits the story because. Kira is really only using Han. She's not, or at least past the very beginning of the movie, but she's she's only using him, and he's holding on to something that's not there anymore. Kind of great Gatsby-ish. You know, he's like, it's been this year, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to be a different person, and I'm going to get this this plane. I'm going to get a ship, and we're going to go away, and it's basically Gatsby and Daisy. And she's like, eh, I've kind of moved on. I've got Paul Bettany now. It's cool. And um, and so I I liked their lack of chemistry, even though, you know, maybe that's not what we're rooting for. But also, you know, that Han is going to end up with Princess Leia. So, like, I'm not rooting for his relationship with Kira. Yeah, I think also because I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, having Amelia Clark just like I had sympathy or empathy for her character 
just because I I like the actress, and right. so they kind of play they played that off successfully to where it worked for me because I liked her, so I just liked her in the role. I I agree, and sometimes that like your love for an actor can taint like you know overshadow whether they did a good job or not. One person I say well did a good job no matter what because he's awesome is Paul Bettany as Dryden Voss. Oh, he was so good. Paul Bettany deserves all the awards all the time. It should be a household name, yet no one speaks his name with any great authority, I guess. But he's such a good character actor. And he was he was a truly interesting villain because he's not... I guess he is the villain, and he's not a good person, and it only really hints at those things, those sides of him that are not good. But I think he's so charming and likable in his own weird, quirky way that you're like, oh, I'd go back and work for you again, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it, it, he's he's that ticking time bomb of, I knew he was a bad guy, but I never really knew what to like i never could anticipate what his actual reaction was going to be to any of these situations mm, he kept point. me on my toes which i appreciated by the way that kevin j anderson it was the jedi academy trilogy oh sure 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 okay great i am i might even have some of those i gotta check my bookshelf i'm always up for a star wars read after watching a star wars movie um i'm actually finishing up a book right now so it's good timing i did you know? Did you catch the very cool Indiana Jones Easter egg with Dryden Voss? Mm, I'm going to say no because I want you to tell me anyway. So in his in the his um, ship, whatever um, his yacht is yacht. Thank you, thank you. I, I was couldn't think of the right word. In his yacht, in his office, he has like all this stuff over all the tables. And in the last scene with him, before kind of all hell breaks loose, he's sitting on the couch on the left side. And behind him is a table with a big skull on it. And on that table is the little golden statue that Indiana Jones takes from the temple at the beginning of Raiders. Oh, that's great. I need to go. You just gave me another reason to go back and watch that movie again. There you go. There awesome. It is. There um, it is. Can I talk about – this is kind of jumping towards the end of the movie, but can I talk about the one little Easter egg that just had me smiling ear to ear? Definitely. Definitely. Ah. When, when, all, when all the dust settles and all the triple and double crosses happen at the end, which I thought was great because I didn't know – like I would predict one that they would throw another one at me. I but, agree. It, you expect one. You expect Woody Harrelson to come back and be like, oh, yeah, all right. Well, obviously. But then it keeps it – keeps, twisting after that and that is what made it really interesting but when kira turned on the hologram i know and it was darth maul and i was like wait a minute wait a minute okay is this this actually maul or is it just another alien like him and then i saw the robot legs and i was like yes they just made clone wars canon this is fantastic which i'm not going to spoil much but if you've seen if you have not seen the clone wars cartoon series all six seasons are on netflix that explains that for you if you did not already know and i stayed through the credits and sam witwer was the voice yes. for maul which he yes. was the voice in the clone wars cartoon series and on rebels because he Darth shows maul played a, a he maul played a big part on rebels uh not just in no 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 not just the one episode with obi-wan but like he he had this whole big thing with Ezra and all of this stuff, and that was Sam Witwer as well. And so oh. I, so he is the voice. I mean, Peter Cetafenowicz played him in Phantom Menace with the but, one, well, like one or two lines he said in that movie, right? Exactly. And so for a lot of people, the voice of Darth Maul is Sam Witwer. And so I love that one. They got Ray Park to put on that makeup again, and then to to be wise enough to get the guy who people recognize as the voice of Darth Maul. Totally cool. I had zero expectations or assumptions about who that was going to be. I it, it almost felt like the 
Actually, I was just as excited about that as I got about the cameo from another character in Avengers Infinity War. In case people haven't seen it, I won't spoil that one. You know who I'm talking about. I know you're talking about, yeah. Right. It was the same level of like, oh, my God, you validated something, so this is great. Because I unabashedly, almost unabashedly, love the prequels just as much as the original trilogy. Because I was a kid when they came out. Well... I was becoming well. I guess teenagers are still a kid, but but I was I was still in the impressionable Star Wars age, and so I recognize some a lot of their faults, but I don't care. I still like them, <laughs> and so I, see... I will I will still stand by Revenge of the Sith because I was already like seventeen. Because I'm a little bit older than you, I was already like 17 when the prequel started coming out. But I I still stand by Revenge of the Sith, so I'm there with you. Right, exactly, and and so. To to see a, a prequel validation in a Star Wars film, like feels like oh my god, they're actually connected. This is awesome because they just don't feel like part of like the Disney reunification of Star right now. They don't feel like anything, but sh- having no longer Darth, just Maul in this Han Solo movie is amazing. And I'm really sad that the movie's not doing terribly well because I want to see more of that. I liked seeing the seedy underworld of Star Wars. Thank and you. I, and Thank I want to see That's exactly more of what it. I said. I, I liked seeing, you know, the bad guys. You know, of mm-hmm. you know the Oh, yeah, that that's an element of Star Wars that like reading like tales from Moss Island Cantina or tales of the bounty hunters. It's like once again, it's stuff I just got to read about and they finally made a movie about it. Exactly. Good Bosque reference really fast in this. Um, did you catch that? The um, the um, Tandy Newton's character Val was like, uh, oh, we'll just get someone else. We need like the so and so sisters or or Bosque. And I was like, Yay, Yay! exactly. Uh- and the and the and the and the not and the very heavy handed but still enjoyable Java reference, you know exactly. That- mm-hmm. Double reference, yeah. It's two, two references. Um, what I there was another reference there. So I can't remember her name, but there's a bounty hunter that you only see the back of in episode one. She's got like white, like chalk white skin, and she's tall and slim. And it says that Tobias Beckett is the one that killed her. Tobias Beckett or Kira? I can't remember which one. Might have been Beckett. Oh, I don't know. Kira. I've only I can't you've remember, seen but, it twice. I've only seen it once. So, right. but either way, Lando says I owed her a lot of money, so I thank you. And I think <laughs> like that was another. That's another episode one reference. And um, uh, Dryden Voss offers um, Caw or Claw. Crab or claw crab or what? It's some um, I can't remember what it is. But in episode one, where it, when they're in the bongo and all, there's always a bigger fish and all yes. that stuff. The smaller fish, where they're like lighting the, um, you know, the bongo kind of shuts down, and Obi Wan's got to rewire it. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, and I know what you're talking about. And he goes, oh, all that bit. That is what they're eating. That that fish that gets oh. eaten by the bigger fish. That's okay. The, yeah. It's like little things like that. That's so fun. Actually, that scene also, I feel like, gets a homage in the Kessel Run because the Millennium Falcon shuts down and they rewire the lights and it comes on and the eye is right in front of them. That's just like the underwater Naboo sequence in episode one. Yes, it is. Very much so. Oh, man. I think I I think we're at this point where we're kind of in the Easter egg section. I think this is part of the reason that like you and I – are just super excited about this movie because it does feel like a movie that is connecting a whole bunch of things for us. It, mm-hmm. It's 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 a movie that appreciates all the glue and uh, and is connecting it all because I've seen a lot of people, a lot of people who were not fans of Last Jedi, absolutely loving this movie. Right, because it's it's validating their fandom. Like, oh, you actually do care about the other stuff that you put out that we like. And I think Last Jedi felt like a middle finger to a lot of fans. I didn't feel that way because I like deconstructionist stuff, and I liked that the movie subverted a lot of my expectations. And to me, some of like the characters still felt maybe not 
how people wanted them to feel, but they but they still felt authentic to me. Luke felt authentic, even though it's not what people wanted for him, because I had a different read on that character than other people. But either way, this movie this movie really delivers quality Star Wars fandom or fan service and it's it's an enjoyable movie without all of that stuff but it's it it only compacts the joy which is the best kind of fan service which is why i think the because as you mentioned the box office has not been great on opening weekend i think we need to get the word out to people going no guys no seriously you're going to enjoy this you you really are going to like this movie i really hope it is a movie that builds momentum like a week of people going no really it's good like like should send people to the movie theater because i don't think there's anything coming out this fall like this weekend this episode is released on the friday so like this but i can't think of anything that like like is really gonna knock i can't think of anything that's really gonna knock solo they've really gotten to high horse until jurassic world no i was gonna say well i don't know when jurassic world i was gonna think june 15th with incredibles 2 Oh, Incredibles, that's it. Incredibles 2 is going to do it, and the following weekend is Jurassic, Jurassic World. Yeah, so it's got some time. I mean, I know it's kind of working against Deadpool right now, but I feel like once everyone's seen Deadpool and, and, and the word of mouth starts going, no, Solo was fun. You know, I've, like I said, I've seen a lot of people who have not been happy with the Disney era of Star Wars who are actually championing this movie. And I think word of mouth is going to hopefully help it if, you know, if enough word of mouth gets out there. Because this is a movie you need to go see. It's mm-hmm. fun summer entertainment. It's fun summer entertainment. I completely agree. Up on the Easter egg side of things. So the, the Pikes control Kessel. And I didn't know this when I watched the film, but I, I saw something afterwards. So the Pikes are the group that were hired by Count Dooku to kill Master Sypha Diaz. So Count Dooku could, like, steal his identity to have the Kaminos make the clones all before Attack of the Clones, Episode 2. Whoa, deep pull. Yeah, really deep pull. Right? That's what I'm talking about. So, like, this is a movie really meant for someone to be, like, really meant for a Star Wars fan going, No, we know you love this. We love this, too. So let's all enjoy and like this universe together because it is a universe. We should be pulling from these things. Like we should all be working in tandem together. It's very, very cool. Well, we got a Warwick Davis, a cameo. Of course we had a Warwick Davis cameo. I was, I was expecting that. I was like waiting for, especially with Ron Howard directing it and it being like the third anniversary of Willow. I was just like, no, no, come on. Give me my Warwick Davis. Mm -hmm. I agree. This is not an Easter egg thing. This is going back to the music, which I thought was interesting. So, uh, Enfys Nest, which ends up being like this kid, basically. Uh, they're not marauders. They're basically a, like a ragtag reg- rebel group trying to like start a rebellion, you know, because that's kind of the era that we're in. It's not a unified rebellion yet. They're still figuring it out. Um, I, the music is a, a women's choir. You know, the it's like the ha ha ha, that kind of thing, but not immigrant song. Um you know. <laughs> It's okay. Um, okay. But uh but I they kind of sounded like kids like when I would listen to the thing and then like you learn that all of these people actually are kids and I'm like, "Oh man, that was like that's really good. This movie tells you a lot without telling you and only on like a second viewing you're like, "Oh wow, this movie really told me everything." And I wasn't watching. I wasn't paying attention. Well, it's the Be- same way that they kept on mentioning Crimson Dawn throughout the entire movie. So I should have been ready for the mall reveal at the end if I had been paying attention. Exactly. Crimson. Right. He's red, you would think. But, you know, whatever. I I had, I was not excited about this movie. When they announced oh, no, it. No, I wasn't either at all. When they I was- announced it, I, I was like, Solo really don't care. But now I'm like, ugh, I didn't really care about Rogue One either, and then I saw it. I was like, damn it, they made me care. And this, t- the prequel validation, the the, char- the correct characterization, giving Han-, giving Han a reason to shoot first. I thought yes! Was- mm-hmm. Thank you! Thank you! I forgot about that until you said that. Yeah, Han, Han shot first. There's no editing around this at all. <laughs> And, and Beckett even going, good choice, kid. 
Yep. That was a th- no. You saved your life right there. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Yep. I Han shot first, and there's a there's a scene Han has with Kira where he says, you know, I'm not a good person. She's like, actually, I'm the only one that knows you are a hero, and he scoffs it off. And this movie, he's still optimistic, so he has that hero quality, but he's still really out for numero uno, and and so I like that. Like it, there's somewhere in there he is like he is selfless, but it takes more than Kira to bring that out of him, which is why it's okay that their relationship doesn't work out. I think it's it's built correctly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I one last thing I loved they kept the fact that Corellia is a shipbuilding planet. Mm, like that yep. was a nice little detail, and um, once again. Just more little details. It's like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. No, you were paying attention. Uh, do you um, do you like that Han Solo's last name comes from some random Imperial guard being like, you need a last name for the system? I was neither it, like it didn't. I didn't love it, nor did I hate it. I just thought, oh, cute. Okay. Like it, it didn't it didn't move the needle one way or the other. So, you know, I consider that a, a win. Because I was neutral on it. Like, I saw where it was going when it happened. I was just like, oh, okay. I, I see what you're doing here. Yep, I, I agree. I kind of wanted it to be his last, like, that just happened to be his last name. But at the same time, it works for him. So it's it doesn't move. You're right. It doesn't move the needle. So it's fine. Yeah. But I, I uh, go ahead. It was, it's Star Wars. I'm just, just, I'm just happy to enjoy a Star Wars movie again. Yeah, me too. And I, like I said, I liked Last Jedi, but you have to like think about why you like it as opposed to this one where you walk out going, wow, I just l- liked it. It was good. It was a good movie. Yeah. Like, and, and everything that happened behind the scenes, like it's a miracle kind oh, of no. movie. Like this is, how, this is how you survive that situation and do it really well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But uh, I meant this episode to be 30 minutes, and it is not, and so we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, and so you can find us at beerwithgeeks.com and Twitter and Facebook and Gmail. And you can find all other Thought Bubble Audio podcasts at thoughtbubbleaudio.com. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and find us on Spotify and Overcast and Satchel and all other places that podcasts can be found. Scott, plug your stuff. You can find us at all those places, only you need to go to suicidesquadcast.com. Uh, and you can find me at scottdc27 on Twitter, where you'll see me talking about all of the DC Universe with a particular emphasis on the movies. Tim, thank you so much for bringing me on to talk about Star Wars. I don't get to do this at all on a regular basis, and it was just so much fun. It was a blast. I'm super happy that we could do this, and you are, of course, welcome back anytime you know that. So uh, that means that until next time, cheers! cheers.